In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. I'm sure you've heard that before. I'm sure your assumption is today, I remember this maybe spoken at my wedding or another wedding that maybe you've attended. 1 Corinthians 13 today is a bestseller. It is the greatest of hits from the scriptures. I use this passage from time to time in premarital counseling. And admittedly at times when I'm doing a wedding, when we hear this, you kind of have to wonder about the bride and groom. Are you really listening to what this says? Are you really listening to what love is genuinely all about? As all of the flowery sort of emotions and feelings come about with love is love, as you hear today, the scriptures point out to us the inability for us to find love in our own hearts. It's familiar. It almost seems cliche. There might be those outside of the church that say, I love that one passage from 1 Corinthians 13. But when I hear this, or I read it, a funny thing begins to happen. Immediately, I realize that I don't love as I ought to. I don't realize, I, I realize that I'm out to serve myself and not you or anybody else. I'm doing things because I love myself. I have the world revolve around me. I'm doing things for me, and I might bear with some people from time to time. I might be patient and kind, but it depends on the day. It depends on who I'm interacting with. Patience and love never ends but in many ways, it does for me. It does for you, too. Don't deny it. Don't sit here today and say, well, I think I've got this down. And in a world that sits there and puts on signs and social media and everything else, love is love, whatever that means, the scriptures point to us today what love genuinely means for us. Paul is writing this letter to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians. I think at times we look at these letters that Paul writes, these are really sermons, and we think, oh, the church at Corinth, a bunch of old people in the Middle East, they wore robes, they lived in tents, they didn't know hygiene. We think that these ancient churches aren't relevant for today. But take a listen to the background of Corinth. Corinth was a very cosmopolitan city. It sat on a narrow strip of land between two bodies of water. It was a major shipping port. And people from all over the Mediterranean would converge at Corinth. Goods were brought into this city by ship. So there were all sorts of people, very diverse people and cultures coming into this city. 
And they were very progressive, very forward-thinking. And all of these people came in with their different religious beliefs. Christianity was rather new. Nobody understood really what was going on. And really, the Christian teachings went against everything that Corinth was all about. Corinth was under the rule of the Roman Empire. You might know about the Roman Empire a little bit from history. You might have read about it. The Roman Empire considered Corinth to be morally and politically bankrupt and corrupt. Rome was disgusted with Corinth. Think about that for a moment. This is like the United States of America with all of our diverse views looking at a particular place as corrupt, morally bankrupt. Nothing good could come out of that place. Where's the Super Bowl at today? Sometimes you can't make these things up. <laughs> Corinth was Vegas. And in Vegas, everything goes. That's who Paul is writing to. So I would say it's a little relevant. I would say even for us in Arkansas and in a cosmopolitan place like Little Rock, it, no, it is. <laughs> we laugh, but Ecclesiastes says this to you. There is nothing new under the sun. And as much as we sort of laugh and giggle, this is a very dangerous thing that you and I are facing. I don't mean to be all somber or overly serious, but Paul was facing a huge uphill battle with the church. And hear what was going on with the church. Listen. They were so enamored with the world, with everything that goes on outside of the church. They were so caught up with everything that they identified with, everything that was popular, everything that seemed like giving you the best life now, and it was infecting and impacting and killing the church. This is no laughing matter because you're sitting in the same thing today. We do not live in the 16th century like Luther. People are not asking the questions of how is one saved? You have people with all sorts of religious views, all sorts of progressive views, morally, politically, or whatever else it is, and people are really asking the question of, who is God and who am I? Who are you as a human being? We can't even define today what a man or a woman is. Think about that. We 
might slough that off. We might laugh about that. But that's what the church of Corinth was all about, and that is really what is attacking the church today. And it is doing so, so silently, so innocently. You and I have had the same temptations. The church has had the same temptations. I'm not immune to it as a pastor. I get so confused with where maybe the church is going to go because of what's out there and what's in here. I get so wrapped up in my personal thoughts, my feelings, my emotions, and you do as well. We face an immense uphill battle and challenges today. Right before Pastor Walter left us, he sat over in my office and he said, I don't know how you're going to do this. And I said, what do you mean? I'm not talking about the pandemic. I'm talking about the way the world is. Better you than me. That's what he told me. Gee, thanks. But we're here at the right time and in the right place. And we have to be told today that you and I do not have love. We don't, except for ourselves. And that there should be repentance. Repentance for wanting our own way. Repentance for the way that we treat each other in unloving ways. Repentance for holding grudges, for being angry, for picking up our toys and walking away, of which I am chief amongst you today. Paul says it today. You can have the right words. You can have the right attentions. You can look all Christian-like outwardly in appearance, but if you do not have love, you're nothing more than a clashing cymbal or a clanging gong. I know a little bit about cymbals. They play the drums, play it in orchestra, Symbols are incredible instruments. They come out of little discs that are hammered and shaped by fire and everything else. They can make wonderful accents in all styles of music. They can catch you off guard, but symbols also can make your ears bleed. Symbols are the biggest complaint that my band has. Tone it down. It's too loud. The music cannot be heard. Are you clashing cymbals and clanging gongs? Are you hurting people around you by your unwillingness to love them, whether it's in the church or outside of the church? Do you even care? Do you even care? I can't answer that for you because I ask that question of myself anymore. Are we all just sitting here playing our own cymbals saying, everybody listen to me as loudly and as indecently as possible? Yes, we are, because we love to make noise and everybody better listen to me. And there's so many other clanging cymbals and gongs out there. There is so much noise. Noise that loves to drown out the word of life in your midst. Noises about directions, noises about war on the rise, noises about our morally corrupt country, noises about the environment, noises about the latest social media platform, 
Noises from your screens, noises about sports, where men in tight pants throw leather sacks full of air. Noise about your feelings and your emotions. Noise about your relationships with each other. Noise about your precious self-image and your identity. Noise from your coworkers. Noise about your finance and the stock market. And we come crashing right into each other with our own noise saying, you better hear me. Let that sink in. This Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. Yeah, Valentine's Day. Our theme this year is simply confession and absolution. In the midst of all the noise, in the midst of all of my self-centeredness, Lent is coming and it's perfect. And it is what is needed to get ourselves and our house in order, to reflect and be reminded of what I am as a Christian, as a pastor, and where you are as a Christian in the vocation that God has placed you. And with anything within Christianity, one of the greatest noises that needs to be heard is, is that I am a poor, miserable sinner to acknowledge my lack of love for God and my neighbor and that I am simply living for myself, that I know it all and I can be it all. And that self-reflection usually happens in silence. We do it in the back of the church before we confess publicly. And oftentimes I sit there in my own head and say, I'm not ready to say, let us confess our sins, and maybe you're not either. But that should not be the only time for self-reflection. One of the hardest things for a Christian to do is to go and confess sins privately to one another, to the pastor, to actually open up and lay for bear our self-centered ways and to say, I have not lived as I should. Self-reflection is key. Owning up to who I am and who you are and what I have done or left undone and my inabilities to love is what confession is all about. It's what Lent re-centers us with. But with confession, there will always, always, always be absolution. There will always be Forgiveness. Forgiveness is the key to the gospel. It has been proclaimed to you today. Almighty God in his mercy has given his son to die for you and for his sake forgives you all of your sins. As a called and ordained servant of Christ, I forgive you all of your sins. That's what God is simply speaking through this unloving, sinful mouth standing before you today. Spoken for you, spoken for me. These words may seemingly be drowned out by the world out there at times, and they can be drowned out here as well as we lose our focus with all of the cares and worries of the world. But forgiveness continues on. It is the foundation and the hallmark within Christianity 
But let's face it, forgiveness is also hard. It is great to hear. We love to hear it, but it is incredibly hard to speak from our mouths. But I must always, always be warned in that, and so should you. Any and all forgiveness of those people who have said, done things against you, any forgiveness, any love is not yours to give. It is from God. I have no right, and neither do you, to proclaim who isn't or who is forgiven with the blood of Christ. Shed for the sins of the whole world. Be on guard. Be observant of that. I love hearing that God looks at me in this way and let those words by the power of the Holy Spirit flow out to your spouse, your children, your parents, your co-workers, your fellow students. And listen, when somebody confesses their sins, speak back to them. But don't speak, that's okay, we're all good, no worries. We solid, we kosher, no, that doesn't cut it. I forgive you, I forgive you. I let the blood of Christ take that away from you. And when the blood of Christ takes those sins away from your neighbor, they are also taken away from you. When you say, I forgive you, God is not only saying, I forgive you of what you've done, but everybody who has been unloving to you, who has treated you terribly, who has wiped your image and reputation all around in the dirt, I am taking that away from you as well. Place it all on my cross where I showed you the love of the entire world. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others' trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. By the words of forgiveness, you speak the immense love of God to your neighbor. Jesus is saying to you and to me, I'll pay the price. Don't hold on to these sins that you've done or that have happened to you. Give them to me. You cannot have them. And so what are we supposed to do? Going out into this Corinthian world. If you want a couple steps, I'll give them to you. I don't like preaching that way, but I think it's important. Step number one, be quiet. Be silent. Listen. Put down your weapons Put down your earbuds, your burdens, your hatred, your unlovingness. Leave it. Place it at the feet of your Savior. Because all of this world and all of the noise tries to drown out the pinnacle that stands in your midst with the cross of Jesus Christ. 
He says, I, when I am lifted up, I will draw all mankind to myself. As he is raised on the cross and hung for the sins of the whole world, your sins, suddenly in your baptism, your world is changed. It's turned upside down. I no longer revolve and orbit around myself. My life revolves around that cross and that empty tomb. In the cross of Jesus, you see the true meaning of love. Greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. And last I checked, in my baptism and in your baptism, he calls you friend. Friend, come up higher. Friend, be seated at my feast of love. Paul tells the church at Corinth in the first chapter, this is where he begins the whole chapter with the Vegas of the early church. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech so that the cross of Christ would be made void, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God power to love, the power to forgive. Step number two, writing this down. Don't look at 1 Corinthians 13 as what you have to do. Don't walk out here today and say, well, pastor really wants me to do this because you'll fail. And so will I. Start with 1 Corinthians 13 in this foundation. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own ways. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Jesus rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things. Jesus believes all things. Jesus hopes all things. Jesus endures all things. Jesus never ends. That is given to you by faith. That is given to you by love. And now, as you go out into the noisy, chaotic, self-centered world, we love because he first loved us. Be silent. Listen. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him, which is you, endured the cross, dying and rising. Pray those immense words from the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses so that we can forgive others. Pray that those words of immense love would flow from your lips. I forgive you freely and wholly because those words were proclaimed to you in Jesus's parched, dry, and dusty mouth. I forgive. They don't know what they're doing. I forgive. It is finished. So on the cusp of this Lent, let us be silent, let us reflect, let us confess, and let us be loved.
because his love endures forever for you. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present evil age, waiting for our blessed hope, the glory of the great, the, the appearing the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever. God is love. You are loved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ which overflows from you to the betterment of your neighbor and for the life of the world. To Christ alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen.